G'day, this is Mark Pesci, and welcome to Series 8 of This Week in Startups Australia. The world has changed completely, all within the space of a single month. At the start of March, coronavirus was something that was still mostly over there, safely out of mind. And now, the global economy has ground to a halt. International borders are closed. Tens, possibly hundreds of millions find themselves out of work. Perhaps a third of the planet is under some form of lockdown. It sounds like fiction, but we all know it's true. So how do we come to grips with the biggest event? not just for our health, but for our economy, our diplomacy, our social lives that any of us have ever seen. Welcome back to a Twister series unlike any that has come before. It's a new world. It's a weird world. But it's a world that's opened up some surprising and unexpected opportunities. It's said that it's an ill wind that blows no one any good. So there are winners in this pandemic, including a few startups. How do you manage your startup when the whole world suddenly and immediately needs what you're selling? How do you climb the J-curve? We'll speak to two founders who have suddenly found themselves asking that question. Defying gravity in a global downturn on this episode of This Week in Startups Australia. Series 8 of This Week in Startups Australia is proudly sponsored by the University of Technology Sydney, driving the next generation of entrepreneurs. UTS is equipping a new breed of startup founders by inspiring students to launch their own venture and build the foundation for a successful career. To find out more about entrepreneurship at UTS and the UTS Startups Program, Go to startups.uts.edu.au. In our news special episode, Main Sequence General Partner Rescue Mike Nichols highlighted one of his portfolio companies that had been hugely impacted by the pandemic, but in a positive way. As the world locked down, we embraced every digital tool we could find to help us make the world contactless. Now, it's easy if you're a banker, maybe not so easy if you're a teacher or a doctor. Telehealth has been on the agenda for a decade or more. It's moved really rather slowly, and, and some of that's maybe because governments have regarded it as a bit of a roar, that if you don't actually go to the doctor's office, you're not actually getting treated. All of that changed in March, when a trip to the doctor could mean exposing yourself or exposing your doctor to a COVID-19 infection. And then, all of a sudden, everything that looked hard and slow about telemedicine suddenly became very quick and very easy, and in Australia, covered by Medicare. And when that happened... Startup Coview was prepared for that moment with a solid telehealth product. 
But that product is only part of the story. The rest of the story is how you deal with an exponential growth in sales and users. So to tell us what happened next, Twista is delighted to welcome Dr. Sylvia Pfeiffer, co-founder and CEO of CoView. Welcome to Twista, Sylvia. Thanks for having me. Okay, so what does CoView do? And, and I should tell our listeners, we are actually using CoView right now to record this interview, which is beautiful. But tell us what it does. Yeah, so CoView is a platform to hold video consultations. So you can see your medical doctor on the CoView platform and the medical, your medical doctor, uh, and that could be an allied health professional, a GP or a specialist, uh, can offer you a video consultation via our platform. We're selling to healthcare providers so that they can deliver video visits to their own patients, which is different from some of the other uh, telehealth startups around where you just go on the website, uh, you find a random doctor and hold a random consultation with them. Right. Um, so it's really important. We focus on you getting access to your own provider via telehealth. And the thing is here is that this is all running inside my browser, right? I'm running Firefox on my computer, and it's all running pretty seamlessly just inside my browser, which means that, you know, anyone who's sitting at home, as we all are now, would open up their laptop or their computer, and bam, well, they'd be able to have a talk to their own GP. Yes, exactly. I'm in a Google Chrome browser, but I can also be on my phone. So it can be, um, uh, a, you know, a browser on, on, on my iPhone, on my Android phone or an iPad. It doesn't really matter. It, it all runs in a web browser. All right. So, so the idea of telehealth has been around for a while. The market had been growing how much? Slowly. <laughs> slowly. Okay. So, so why was it growing slowly? Um, there's a couple of reasons. And um, I'd say there's really three reasons. Um, one is that uh, clinicians um, take a while to adopt new technology. Um, and there wasn't really much incentive for them. Um, then, of course, uh, patients uh, weren't aware, uh, aware that this capability existed, and the big important catalyst was the payments. So as soon as Medicare jumped onto it, that made a huge difference. All right, and so that's the 13th of March was when the first set of telehealth items were announced to start moving Australians into telehealth solutions. All right, what happened to your business on the 13th of March? <laughs> it changed fundamentally. <laughs> Everything um, became different. Uh, it was a whole new world. On the 14th of March, we saw the uptick and it just kept rising. So we doubled um, basically uh, the, the website visits uh, on the next day. Um, and uh, within a week, it was just exploding. So uh, for some numbers here, the next day we had an increase of 100% and within a week, an increase of about 10,000% of, of people that wanted to look at the website. So how did people know to come to you? Had you already been marketing aggressively? Was this word of mouth? Do you know how people found out? Um, there's a couple of ways. So, of course, we uh, we tried to get word out about Curview and a lot of people already knew about us and a small percentage of those people were, were already users, uh, customers, and they told their um, their colleagues about it. So there was a lot of word of mouth, mouth happening. Uh, there was also, um, we had to put some groundwork um, ahead with uh, relationships with industry associations. We've put that in place as well. And uh, a couple of these industry associations who knew that we were a secure Australian provider of telehealth, uh, we weren't really storing patient information, which is really important from a privacy point of view. Or, or sending it to China, which you might be with Zoom or... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
Exactly, all those kinds of things. They knew they could trust us. We were, we are a spin out from the CSIRO. You know, there is inherent trust there. So a couple of associations uh, came to us and asked whether they could partner with us to um, to to tell their industry the association members um, and to give them a discount. So that's what we did. We provided them with a discount code and that obviously also spurred a lot of interest. So you were in the right place at the right time with the right set of connections and the right deal. I think so. I'd like to think so. Well, I mean, I think the proof <laughs> is in the pudding. If you are now talking about the fact that a week later your your business has increased, how, how much? Uh, well, 10,000%. So we went from about... 400 calls a day that we were doing to um, now doing 25,000 calls a day. So Holy it's a massive cow. increase. It's, it's uh, you know, um, it's, and all of these scaling pains that everyone talks about, you know, other startups do them within, you know, you scale within a year or so. We had to do that within two weeks. I mean, um, this was the whole theme. A series, series seven was about scaling and what people were learning from scaling. And of course, you're right. They're like, we're going to scale over the next year. We'll scale over the next five years. You scaled in two weeks. How? How? <laughs> uh, well, I could see the writing on the wall uh, and I saw it from the number of requests we got on our uh, customer support portal. So we've got a text chat portal um, uh, and uh, we saw a lot of people come to talk to us. And immediately I could tell by the number of, call, of of requests that came in that I wouldn't be able to deal with it by myself or with the small team that we had. We were seven people back then. Uh, so I immediately got busy hiring some support staff um, and, and customer success is really important for us. And we help all our uh, new people on the platform to become successful with what they're doing. Uh, so we needed to scale that up very, very quickly. We basically doubled the company size within a week and quadrupled it within four weeks. We're now more than 30 people um, and still growing. Wow. Okay. So not only are you managing all of these sales, but you're also managing onboarding all of these employees to your culture and your process. And these are folks who are also not coming into an office right now because no one's coming into an office. Uh, are there a lot of moving pieces flying around right now? <laughs> It was very interesting. You would start with Curview on a Monday and by Wednesday you would be an expert and you would train the next people. So <laughs> uh, out, out the door went the, whole, went the whole thing of onboarding because of uh, like onboarding employees with cultural fit and all that kind of stuff. I didn't care about any of that. I, uh, I made sure that we had people that were technology capable and they could onboard. And funnily enough, uh, and this was lucky for us, a lot of the people that I got to help us were actually startup founders themselves that found themselves in a pickle because they couldn't progress their startup because of COVID. So I got a lot of really, really great people on the company. Um, and the uh, the culture started forming itself around these these awesome people. All right. Now, did, so did you have to worry about, I guess, a sales cycle as well? Or was that, was that already all built out? Was that all electronic? Or was there a lot of face-to-face -face involved in sales before the pandemic? Um, we have a dual approach. So we've got a SaaS platform, a self-sign-up platform. So a lot of the smaller customers of ours, they just go to the website and sign up just as you would do with a, uh, with a Google account or whatever uh, else. Um, it's, that's what we built out and that's what we um, 
what we, to some extent, what we innovated in telehealth as well. Most other telehealth platforms, you actually have to uh, have a meeting with with the uh, um, company, and then they determine how many users you have and how long it'll take to set up, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So it's it's many weeks of negotiation and setup. That is the higher end of Coview. We have an enterprise platform as well, so we offer that service as well. So if you want to onboard um, your whole organization with 20,000 users, you will want to talk to our uh, enterprise department. But for the majority of Australian healthcare businesses, they're all... Um, Smallish. What's, what's called a cottage industry. Yeah, they're smallish. And, and so we made it really easy for them. They can sign up within five minutes. They can start holding video consultations. Right. Okay. So, I mean, it's the, it's the AWS effect, right, where it's really easy for individuals or small businesses to sign up for AWS. Same thing. All right. How has this now changed? It is, you make March sound like it was a long time ago. I want to point out it was seven weeks ago. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know. It seems like seven years. How has what has happened over those last seven weeks changed the scope of your business, of your planning, of your capital needs, how you think of the business as CEO? Well, massively, with that sudden extreme growth, um, we now have a completely different outlook to to telehealth uh, and the future of telehealth is now suddenly bright and everyone can see it. Whereas before I was really struggling to get investment for our business and to get people to subscribe to the idea of fundamental industry change and that everyone, every clinician will be doing telehealth in the future. Everyone said, oh, you know, that's five, 10 years away. Nobody is going to pick it up anytime soon. And then COVID comes and suddenly that five, 10 year change happens within two weeks. <laughs> and there's there's a there's a lot of instances work from home same thing right there's a lot of instances where people thought it was going to take five or ten years and all of a sudden oh, wait we're actually that's now behind us that transition is now behind us it happened faster than than you could look you know and um and it was just it was just crazy um so we we had um money coming in because we had people signing up and starting to pay for the platform so we could um uh, get uh, get to work on our um infrastructure as well and scale up the infrastructure uh, we had uh, an interest now for uh, investors so the investors suddenly became interested in, in us um, we had operational challenges to focus on at first of course uh, both on the infrastructure and on on the team uh, but now i can start looking at strategy how are we going to build on what we've what we've done in the last couple of weeks and turn this into something that is going to help the whole industry convert. And we've, we've been working towards this for a while. My thinking has always been that we become a conduit in the industry for digital tools to be used in video consultations. Uh, and I believe that we're now at that point where we can actually execute on all of that. Right. And medicine has been slow to adopt digital tools. And it's, it's really funny because the med medical practitioners tend to get blamed for this. And yet when you take a look at the tools, the tools are never designed by medical practitioners. They're always forcing a new kind of work. Whereas medical practitioners have very well-developed work styles that are designed that way for a reason. And so if you're coming in and saying, well, here are the tools that allow you to work the way that you work in now, and you're going to be the conduit for the way those tools will work for them in the future, then you get to be the foundation for a much broader transformation in medicine. That's exactly our approach. Um, we hope that uh, with taking, taking tools into the digital world, 
we can actually help medicine become more efficient and more effective uh, and help these clinicians to have a broader impact. Suddenly, it doesn't make any more difference where you live. You can you can get best um, healthcare no matter where you live. Uh, and, and this is a, a fundamental change in the industry. Um, and, and the way that clinicians work as well, a clinician can now suddenly live wherever they want to live and, and have uh, people uh, that don't have to live, you know, in a two-kilometer radius around them to, to, to be customers of theirs. They could be living anywhere on the planet, really. Okay. What have you learned through this period of incredible, just this last seven weeks of incredibly rapid growth in your business? What can you teach to other entrepreneurs about how to deal with this when you hit the J-curve? Um, well, so I think one thing we did incredibly well was prepare for growth. Uh, we always thought that, you know, we're in AWS, we've set it all up for growth. Uh, we always thought we would be uh, able to deal very well with growth. And to some extent, we did, um, except for two instances where we had small outages, uh, and those were based on bugs. So one other thing I learned, obviously, is you can never be well enough prepared. There's always going to be something that's going to trip you up. Um, and we did react very well. We addressed those issues and we continued scaling. Uh, we can now, you know, onboard a lot more users uh, at, at any one point in time and, and satisfy them. It wouldn't be a problem. Uh, but um, a small bug that's not a problem when you're small can become a really massive problem when you scale. Mm. And you don't know that until you scale. Exactly. You, you won't discover it until you scale. All right, so we're heading out of the acute phase of the pandemic into the chronic phase, right, which is just going to be the new normal for as long as it takes until there's vaccines. Do you reckon that CoView's growth will sustain into that world? I think telehealth is here to stay. I believe that a lot of people have discovered telehealth for the first time, both on the patient end as well as on the clinician end, and have really come to like it. Uh, I believe it will be part of the mix of the future of healthcare now much more than ever before, uh, and people have accepted it. Uh, now, a lot of people that have chosen a telehealth platform before might have chosen just a simple Skype or, uh, or Zoom or something else just because they wanted to get set up very, very quickly and wanted to, to, to just get going. Uh, now, as they're doing this more regularly, they'll be looking for platforms that actually work um, within their environment. And so this is where we have our specialized workflows. So we've uh, uh, workflows that support the clinicians and the businesses in the way they work. And we have these clinical tools. And I believe that we will be very interesting for people that now have a taste of telehealth uh, to think about long term how they're going to offer a sustainable service. And that they can change the way they work because they're now changing the tools they work with. Sylvia, thank you so much for telling us the tale of rapid growth on This Week in Startups Australia. Happy to be here and thanks for having me. Developing entrepreneurial skills is at the heart of the student experience at the University of Technology, Sydney. UTS students are creating their own jobs and starting their own companies through the flagship program UTS Startups. Within its first year, the program launched more than 200 student startups and they're just getting started. Equipping students with the tools and expertise to become entrepreneurs 
then connecting them to industry partners and the startup ecosystem. It's all part of their innovative approach. UTS is connecting thousands of talented students to industry and works closely with a network of partners to match students and startups through their startup internship program. As a leading university of technology and Australia's number one young university, UTS is investing heavily in this future right now. UTS's inner city campus is also uniquely positioned in Sydney's thriving tech precinct to be the catalyst for digital and creative industries and the startup community. Join them on the journey building Australia's largest community of student entrepreneurs. Go to startups.uts.edu.au to find out more. Welcome back to This Week in Startups Australia. Now, some people are good in a crisis, and it's good to know people who are good in a crisis. What if your startup is specifically designed for helping people cope within a crisis situation? And then, well, then what happens when the whole world enters a crisis? How does an entrepreneur cope with that crisis that his company was made for? Now, Back in 2013, at the very first launch festival in San Francisco, my friend Mark Jeffrey pitched an idea for an app that would help people contact their key guardians in an emergency situation. I thought that idea was fantastic. And the app that he went on to create, Guardian Circle, it's won a lot of awards. It's gotten a lot of great press. It's never had the kind of traction that I thought it deserved until the pandemic began. To tell us about what it means to be at the right place at the right time with the right app, it's my pleasure to welcome Mark Jeffrey to This Week in Startups Australia. Welcome, Mark. Thank you, Mark Pesci. It's a pleasure to be here. <laughs> All right. So tell us briefly, what does Guardian Circle do? So Guardian Circle is a friends and family 911 alert network. So in its simplest form, push a button, help comes. It's community emergency response. So practically, the way it works is like this. So you download the app, you get your friends, family, and neighbors to download it also, and then you all connect as guardians in the system, which is just like being friends in Facebook. It's an emergency social network. Why wouldn't I just use triple zero here in Australia or 911 in America and actually get the paramedics or whoever to come? Well, <laughs> there's a lot of reasons, but one of the biggest ones is, is that when you call 911 from a mobile device, they have no idea where you are. A lot of people don't know this. The, the the emergency system has not been upgraded significantly since the 60s. So, I mean, the bottom line is your network is closest and can help you fastest, right? So, and especially during a time like we're in right now, um, where the official services are overloaded, um, suddenly the equation has changed yet again, right? So, um, so, for instance, if you were, say, in New York a fortnight ago and something happened and you could call the paramedics, but the paramedics had their hands completely full taking people to hospital because they had severe COVID-19 infections. This thing would fill the gap for you, so you'd be able to get people to help you. Yes, and you'd be able to get them very quickly because they're your neighbors, they're your friends, and they're also people who are highly motivated to come to your assistance. So, uh, you know, just like you said, in New York, uh, right now, 20% of the police are ill. A lot of people don't know that. Um, and they've announced that they're no longer enforcing certain crimes. 
uh, in San Francisco, Cincinnati, Cincinnati and Philadelphia. So you've got this weird situation where the call volume is higher. They've even said it's higher than during 9-11 in New York. Um, and yet the number of responders is lower um, while the situation is continuing to degrade. Um, potentially could get very bad if we don't get stimulus checks to people. There might be people wandering the streets, right? So that's that's the sort of thing that's going through um, the heads of folks. And that's why we're getting the downloads we're getting right now. All right. So you have seen a growth in downloads. We have. We've had a, a pretty huge spike over the last month. Uh, it's up 3,000% from our uh, normal, <laughs> okay. normal month. That's the J curve then. Yes, that's that's a yeah. classic sign of a J curve. All right. And we went into this uh, crisis with 10,000 users. We're now at about 20,000. So we doubled in a month. Wow. Um, yeah. And it's pretty worldwide. So about a third of that's in the United States. Um, the rest of it is in like, you know, India, Mexico, Brazil, Myanmar, Pakistan, places like that. And so. those are the places that wouldn't have the same emergency infrastructure that you'd have in America. So, in fact, people don't have that kind of system to fall back on. They do not. There is no public system in a lot of those places. So there are private companies that offer emergency response that you have to contract with beforehand. But by and large, people are just sort of on their own. Um, and even when you go with a private service, it's usually pretty shitty. Now, uh, most, most people on earth have very bad emergency response, just bottom line. Okay. So did you see, did, was the uptick, that doubling, was that gradual or did it just sort of all happen all at once? Uh, it ramped up over about a week and a half. So it kind of started around, I'm looking at the graph here, March 20th, it looks like. Mm -hmm. uh, and that was sort of like when the the consciousness, the public consciousness, things started to crystallize of, oh my God, this COVID thing, it looks like it's very real and it's going to have a very big impact. That's when everyone kind of at once went, oh my God. And so we suddenly saw, you know, in the course of about a week and a half, um, the, the, the graph just rise up like crazy. So... Yeah, I'd, 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 I'd characterize that as sudden. How do you deal with this basic issue of doubling the base of users in 30 days? I mean, it, that's, that's, it's the kind of thing that an entrepreneur wants, but it's another sense, it's the kind of thing that an entrepreneur dreads, right? Well, <laughs> so yes, you're absolutely right. Um, but luckily, we had, we had just re-architected our back end over the course of 2019. So when this hit, we were ready to scale up uh, infinitely pretty much immediately so uh we had already been anticipating a lot of growth we had just uh released our referral program um where users get 10 guard cryptocurrency for each new user they recruit and each um alert that they answer so these that sort of thing tends to produce a lot of new users very quickly so we were already anticipating the growth so luckily for us the timing was right had this been two years ago we might not have been able to handle it Right, because your infrastructure would have just said, I can't, you can't deal with this. All right, how has this now changed the scope of the business? Now that we are in, it will be a long pandemic. I think everyone has agreed that it's going to be a long pandemic. It may not be acute like it is as we're recording this in May of 2020, but it's going to be long. How does that change the scope of what you're thinking of your business as going forward? Well, so the good, the good news and the bad news about this is... You know, obviously, we've got a ton of new users, so we've accomplished that goal. Um, but the flip side of that is, is that the, the venture people have become very, you know, they, they sort of clamped up. They're no longer funding like they were. Mm. Um, and we we'd had a, you know, we're basically raising a bunch of money right now. We had some lined up in March. We're supposed to close in March. 
and the fund that we were dealing with could not close their fund <laughs> because of the pandemic, right? So, um, so we, you know, that went away, or at least it's on hold. Um, but the good news is, is that the a crisis is the best time to build a business. That's when Google, Facebook, Amazon, LinkedIn, all those companies were, were either founded or found their footing uh, in a downtime. So we have an, a remarkable opportunity in that we have a lot of competitors slash other companies uh, that are competitors in the sense that they are competing for, for venture money uh, dying. Like, you know, 90% probably will die around us and we won't. So um, so the one thing that all the venture people are looking for, however, uh, is revenue, which we don't have right now. We have users, but not revenue. Um, however, we we now we have a way to make money. And it basically boils down to there's an $11 billion a year addressable market um, monitoring service market that exists right now. And the easiest way to explain that is the, you know, you, we've all heard the I've fallen and I can't get up ads. So uh, those services cost between 30 and $90 per month. We're going to do mm. the same thing for $10 a month and it'll be integrated with the peer-to-peer -peer guardian circle response. So when you push the button, an alert operator enters your alert room alongside your friends, family, and neighbors, and that operator can talk to all of those people, knows the location of all of those people, and can send rescue like ambulance or police or whatever you need and coordinate with all these parties at once. So it's so really a step up. It's the next level from those kinds of services then, the next yes, evolution. Yes, exactly. And you don't need a separate device. Your phone already is a great, is already a great device. So that is your panic button alert device. Do you reckon then as a result that your growth will continue to scale in the post-acute pandemic world, this world of, say, the next 12 to 24 months? Yeah, I mean, I think it depends on how well we capitalize on this. Um, you know, we basically get this new influx of users, uh, but all those users, uh, our, our product is designed to grow virally, right? Because you download it, you get other people to download it and connect with you. Um, our model is based around, you know, you everybody invites at least two, hopefully three or more users uh, to download and connect with them. Um, and that that's happening, but it's not happening as well as we would like. Um, so we spent the last month really scrambling. Uh, we just today released Guardian Circle 3.5, which addresses this issue. Um, and uh, so our hope is that we, it will now begin to grow more virally. You know, more of our users that download it will, in fact, recruit a lot more users faster. So I so guess what you're learning, where, though, yeah, product market fit, which is really what you're trying to do with this, making it more viral, changes when circumstances change, that when there's a pandemic, the idea of what makes good product market fit is different from what it does when it's just people looking for, you know, there's a broken leg or someone falls over, whatever it might be. Yes. Well, I think, I mean, this, our marketing challenge has always been, how do we get people to think about emergencies uh, over the course of their day-to-day -day life? Mm. Nobody likes to think about emergencies, right? No. So that, that was hard. And all of a sudden that became easy. So, you know, now everyone's thinking about emergencies all the time. So that, that's new. All right. Last so question. What have you learned through this period of incredibly rapid growth in your business? And what can you tell other entrepreneurs who might be facing a similar J curve? Yeah. I mean, for us, it was, um, you know, we had we suddenly had this influx of a lot more users. Uh, and, we, and we had, again, luckily, just wired the app to tell us anonymously, of course, um, every single button push and user action um, so we could analyze the flows through our own app. We didn't have that information before. 
we didn't have a significant enough population to really give us uh, enough information about that. Suddenly, the, those trends and, and those things became extremely clear. So uh, data, you know, making decisions based on data and flows like that is incredibly valuable. So uh, the thing I would tell any entrepreneur is make sure you've got your your app wired to tell you what exactly what's happening. You can't be flying blind. You have to know what's up. So that's the biggest thing. Mark, thank you so much for joining us on This Week in Startups Australia. Thank you for having me. As I mentioned in the beginning of this segment, I was one of the first people to get a pitch of Mark Jeffrey's Guardian Circle. And in the interest of transparency, I have been an advisor to Mark both formally and informally in the years since then when they had their token offering. I received some Guardian. So just so we're clear where my loyalties lie, but I've always done my best to give him the best possible feedback on making Guardian Circle great. And that had always actually been a bit of a problem because I would download the 1.0 and then the 2.0 versions and I'd try to sign up during the onboarding process. I'd give it my phone number and said, okay, we're going to send you a code so that we can make sure that your phone is correctly registered with us. And that code would never come. There had always been a bug somewhere in the code that rejected my phone number, and in fact, all Australian phone numbers. So it was never possible for Australians to actually sign up for Guardian Circle. And I would file the bug report and they'd find out where it happened. And it wasn't until the 3.0 version came out, which was in early February, that it was finally able to onboard to this app that I had been really given feedback on for half a decade, maybe more. Made me very happy when I could do that. And it was also a sign that Guardian Circle was finally ready enough to be able to handle the sudden growth that they were about to run into, where they basically doubled their number of users over 30 days. And if you listen to Sylvia Pfeiffer, she tells a very similar story about having all of the systems in place to be able to handle the kind of growth that she didn't know she would have, but then that first day where growth was 100% and then that first week where growth was 10,000% stressed every one of those systems. And as she said, little bugs become big bugs when they're under that kind of stress, but she'd already put the systems in place so that she could see those bugs when they were happening. She could fix them quickly and keep everything moving. So it seems the most important skill that an entrepreneur needs to climb the J-curve is to be prepared, to be ready for growth. If you're ready for growth, if your systems are ready for growth, then when that beautiful opportunity comes, you'll be able to take advantage of it. Big thanks to Twister Sponsors UTS. Their support makes our podcast possible. Thanks to Sylvia Pfeiffer and Mark Jeffrey for making the time to come onto our show. Now, come visit our website at twistartupsaus.com. It's got everything. It's got all the shows, all the interviews, all the links, all the photos, all the stories. So check it out at twistartupsaus.com. We'll be back in a fortnight with our final episode for Series 8 where we take a look at the post-pandemic world and the role that startups may play 
in bringing the global economy back to life. Until then, this is Mark Pesci thanking you for listening to This Week in Startups Australia. Stay well and be safe.